0: Live from the basement, this is Cellar Dweller Sports. Back, back
1: back, back back, back back
0: and we're back with another edition of Cellar Dweller Sports featuring K-Dog and G-Mac.
1: Welcome back to The Cellar. We're here with the New York Islanders and the New York Rangers. Today's
0: rundown, we have the A-10 semifinal rewind and finals preview. Then we have Nets and Knicks rewind and preview. And then to finish it off, we have the Islanders and Rangers rewind and preview. So to start off we'll start out with the A10 rewind for the semifinal matchup in the tournament and we'll start out with the the hometown team the St. Bonaventure Bonnies took on St. Louis uh the 1 versus 4 seed matchup in the semifinals and the Bonnies controlled this one the entire game and defeated the Billikens 71 to 53 uh, there's just, uh, I, I was very surprised by this game. I thought it would be way closer, but the Bonnies just controlled, uh, the offensive side and the defensive side, the entire game, uh, only limiting St. Louis to 53 points, which is, uh, a, a very good accomplishment for the Bonnies defense. But, uh, the leading scorer for the game for the Bonnies was, uh, Jalen Attaway, with 17 points and seven rebounds on seven of 13 shooting Kyle Lofton added a double double with 12 points and 10 rebounds and Jaron Holmes also had 15 points and seven rebounds and then on the defensive side the star of the game was Oshun Oshuni with uh five rebounds and seven blocks in one game uh absolutely amazing uh Defensive display by Oshuni in this one Uh, on St. Louis's side, the leading scorer was uh, Jordan Goodwin with 11 points and seven rebounds. And then right behind him was Javante Perkins with 10 points and four rebounds. And uh, I said last week when we did the preview for these games, that if Hassan French got into foul trouble, it would be tough for them to win this game and he had four fouls throughout the most of the game limiting him to the bench and uh it paid off for the bonnies and the bonnies took care of business 71 to 53 moving them into the finals
1: yeah so based on the the seedings at the time of last week's recording you know i, I had the semis looking like uh the Bonas versus richmond and st louis yeah. versus mason because of the way uh, the seeds were, you know, when we recorded it, obviously changed thereafter and had had Bonas meeting St. Louis and the chip. What what, what was your final four, Dog? even though the seedings changed? Do you remember?
0: Uh, it was, I think it was uh, St. Bonaventure versus Richmond, like you said. And then on the other side, it was, uh, I think it was uh, VCU. And uh, I believe it was, davidson on the other side still
1: and then who, who was in your chip
0: it was uh oh wait no it was uh i'm sorry it was uh it was vcu versus st louis i believe it was on the other side and it was st bonaventure versus st louis in the finals
1: okay so we had the same final yeah yeah okay yeah so you know that again the seedings changed but uh you know I had Bonas and St. Louis in the chip, so that became a semi final game because the, the final top four seedings you know they held form mm-hmm. with the top four teams advancing to the finals with Bonaventure number one, VCU number two, Davidson number three, St. Louis number four. Um, the uh, Davidson setting up the St. Louis and VCU, you know, beating Davidson sets up the one one, two matchup next Sunday. You know, how did Bonas and VCU get to the chip here? You know, and the Bonnies essentially led wire to wire against St. Louis. St. Louis took a two zip lead, but it was all, all Bonas after that. And, you know, it's ironic because people talk about Bonaventure not having a deep bench, but -hmm. it's not that they don't have skill on the bench. They just don't use the bench. Right. So, you know, this, this, this was key in this game against St. Louis because Jalen Attaway had to leave the game after getting hit in the nose by Hassan French. Yeah. And then A- AJ Vasquez comes in for Attaway and he sparked the Bonnies to that 11 2 lead that they would never relinquish. He hit these back to back triples, knocked those things down, right? And that's really what, you know, sparked Bonaventure at that point in time. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they talk about not having a, a bench, but it's just they don't use the bench for the most part. But they're very capable, as demonstrated in this game against St. Louis. You know, in the, as you talked about it, the Bonneys were dominant on defense, um, you know, showing everyone why they're number one defense in the A-10. And, mm-hmm. and the Bonneys own the paint. They had nine blocks as a t- team with Osun having seven blocks. And, you know, Osun like, looked like the second coming of Dikembe Mutombo rejecting every St. Louis shot. The only thing he didn't do was wave his finger after he, uh, you know, was blocking all those shots. He like was flexing Mutom- the muscles. He was flexing the muscles, yes. But uh, Mutombo used to wave his, his finger saying, no, 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 right? So the Bonneys also dominated the points in the paint uh 34 to 20 and they out rebounded St. Louis as well 35 mm-hmm. 27 which was which wasn't supposed to happen. I mean St. Louis was supposed to have that inside game height matchup advantage but it wasn't so. You know St. Louis is ranked number 1 in the A10 in rebounding um but Bonnie seemed to be in control the entire game having the 8 point lead at the half extending it by 12 points you know, leading up to the win 71-53. And the, and the Bonnies were led by Attaway with 17 points and Jaron English with 15 points. And uh, Kyle Lofton had a double-double. Osun only had eight points, but his defense is really what gave the Bonnies the win. St. Louis only shot 36% from the floor when they averaged 46% from the floor. Uh, this, is, this is a team that ranks second in points in the 8-10, at 75 points per game, so mm-hmm. you know it, it was probably best game the Bo- the Bonneys played all year, um, showing why they're number one in defense, uh, showing how showing their balanced offensive attack because any one of the you know the starting five averages a double double, uh, and then they got Vasquez coming off the bench, which helps. and And I thought and I thought Shaw played a um, a key role in this game as well. And he he was tough in the paint Mm -hmm. also uh, standing in for Osun when Osun had a couple fouls in the uh, first, first half. So, you know, he, he did a nice job as well filling in and, you know, they're going to need to have that effort to win the A 10 chip. And then, you know, if they want to advance in the big dance, they're going to have to play like this the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that is true. If they play defense like this, I think they could, they could advance uh, deep and if, because, other teams uh, haven't played. I feel like other teams in the that will be in the tournament haven't faced like uh, this low of a tempo and like this high of a defensive uh, like organized team uh, as the Bonnies are because uh, most most I feel most of uh, the Power Five conferences are just uh, just lights out shooting and then if you can contain that uh, you'll get the win.
1: And I I think this year's tournament is going to be very interesting. I think there are going to be more upsets in this year's tournament than typically take place Mm -hmm. because a lot of teams didn't play non-conference schedules, right? Most of the games were, you know, conference games. So you really can't get a sense of how good a team is, uh, without those non-conference games. And, and I'm expecting, uh, you know, these power five conferences, you know, the committee's obviously going to give them five, six, seven teams deep in some of these power five conferences mm-hmm. uh, just because they're in those conferences, not necessarily because they really deserve it, but just because they're in those conferences, you know, and that, that, that'll set up a lot of upsets because those five, six, seven teams in those power five conferences are are going to turn out not to be really that good. Mm-hmm. And and you're going to see a lot of upsets. I mean, it, it, if people are still talking about having Duke Duke in the uh NCAA tournament, it just goes to show you that uh you know the the committee and is going to give these power five conferences the benefit of the doubt because there's no mm-hmm. way Duke should be in the so, NCAA yeah, tournament. No. no way.
0: No way. UNC as well I don't UNC shouldn't be in it either. yeah no I think they'll be in the NIT most likely because uh Duke finished the regular season uh yesterday on the yeah
1: year. right so unless they win the ACC tournament that they can't be in the NCAA tournament if, if they are you know that that's that's wrong yeah yeah yeah
0: definitely um but Now that we're done with the Bonnie's game, we'll move on to the second semifinal game. And it was the VCU Rams, the two seed taking on uh, the Davidson Wildcats at the three seed. And this one really wasn't close either for the whole entire game. Uh, VCU won this one handily 64, 52. Uh, They controlled the, the offensive side and defensive side, just like, the Bonneys did the first half ended 24 to 17 Davidson only scoring 17 points in the uh, in the first half and usually they they are a a fast-paced offense they they score they score about uh, 63 points per game and uh, if you score 17 and one one half uh, that's that's going to be far from 64 points per game but uh, VCU was led by Uh, bones highland 34 minutes on a on a hurt leg and he still provided for this team 12 points five rebounds four assists on five of 12 shooting uh on the bench they had two scores in double digits with uh jameer watkins with 10 points and Corey douglas also had 10 points they both had five rebounds as well uh, the leading rebounder for VCU was Levi Stockard with seven rebounds, uh, but they controlled the, the, the glass on, on in this game. VCU controlled the glass over Davidson. Uh, speaking of Davidson, Kellen Grady had 13 points, and uh, Hong Jong Lee also had 13 points for Davidson, but that was the bulk of their scoring, Everyone else was basically uh, lower than six points. Also, uh, uh, Luka Brokovich for the Wildcats had 10 points and nine rebounds. But everyone else had less than six points in the game. And uh, that's, that's the recipe for a loss. And uh, VCU is on to the finals, the one versus two seed.
1: Yeah, th- I agree with you. This game was pretty similar to the Bonaventure-Billikins game. You talked about the score at half. And, and the problem for Davidson was, oddly, they couldn't shoot. Yeah. The night the night before against Mason, they shot lights out, which catapult, catapulted them past the Patriots. But that same shooting touch was not there in this game. The, the Wildcats, K-Dog, shot an underwhelming 29% from the field and 33% from the arc. You know, VCU did a great job containing sharpshooter Lee, and uh, leading scorer Kellen Grady, VCU came out in the second half and made sure that Davidson didn't gain any confidence by scoring the first few points coming out of the break. Davidson picked up their shooting, you know, improving to 44% from the field in the arc, but it, it just was a little too late. Plus, they could, like you said, they couldn't compete with VCU in the paint. I mean, VCU outscored Davidson 34-16 in the paint. Mm-hmm. And VCU's bench was a big factor as well. They outscored Davidson's bench 25-10. You know, obviously the Rams were led by Highland. You know, he he only had 12 points, so, you know, it wasn't like he had a huge game. And their next leading scorers came off the bench with Jamar Watkins and Corey Douglas. I think both had 10 points. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Hassan Ward was tough in the paint. He had four blocks. But at the end of the day, you know, the Rams go as bones goes. Mm-hmm. And I, quite honestly, I'm surprised they won the game with, with him only scoring 12 points, but that's, that's more of a Testament of, you know, Davidson's inability to score and their poor shooting in that game, which really was the difference in the game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it was, yeah. The poor shooting from uh, Davidson in, in the semifinals, uh, usually there's, there are, very good shooting team from three point land, but only shot thirty three percent from three in this game and thirty percent overall. So yeah, uh, if
1: they, I mean, if they shot the way they did against George Mason the night before, oh, they would have won. Uh, they would have won, but you know, then again, VCU's will say, hey, you know, our havoc defense caused that mm-hmm. to happen. You know, and I'm not really sure that that's the case because, uh, it, you know, they really weren't pressing davidson all that much it was just davidson wasn't knocking shots down
0: yeah and uh surprisingly davidson led the led the game in points off turnovers 22 to 12 and uh none of it uh came to fruition for them obviously no no yeah but uh we'll move on to the final the a10 final matchup the a10 championship game the one versus two seed uh, St. Bonaventure Bonnies take on the Virginia Commonwealth University Rams and uh, this is the, the third matchup uh, the Bonnies versus the Rams lap the latest matchup uh, VCU 160 67 to 64 in a very close game all the way to the end but in the matchup before VCU came out to a strong lead they were up uh, I think 15 at the half I believe it was yeah they were up 15 at the half in the first matchup and yeah, the, they were the Bonnies limited them to 14 points in the second half and the Bonnies routed them at the end of the game 70 to 54 so one game was close the other wasn't uh the third matchup is going to be good these teams have great guards in Kyle Lofton and Bones Highland Bonnie's also have Jaron Holmes and Jalen Attaway. The Oshun Oshuni, uh, VCU has a pretty good uh, defense in the paint with Levi Stockard as well. But uh, I I'm going I this is probably biased, but uh, I'm gonna give the advantage to the Bonnies in this one. The Bonnies are gonna win the A10 championship. I just think that they are hitting on all cylinders right now, uh, and I just think there's no stopping them. They're lights out on offense and on defense, um, and I, I just don't think the Rams could limit them in this game, and uh, the Bonnies will win the A-10 championship.
1: Okay, so I'll give you the uh, unbiased assessment since I, I know you ha- you're, you're going to give the biased assessments, and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know the good thing is you have the two best teams in the A10 yeah. this season playing for the chip, and you know this is the rubber match, right? Because they split the, the the season series, and you talked about you know Bond has won the first meeting back in january you talked to about them being down you know and this was the great bonaventure comeback in that game i mean the rams dominated the bonnies in the first half but then the bonnies pulled off the greatest comeback of the year and and for me this was probably the turning point for the bonaventure season Uh, vcu shot 42 percent from the field and 45 percent from three in that in the first half of that game Mm -hmm. then the bonnie's defense decided well we're going to show up and they they held the rams to 14 points and and that sent a message to vcu and the rest of the 810 that you know we got this fierce top-ranked defense and we can lock anybody down i mean 14 points is incredible right yeah yeah so you know then vco vcu's field goal shooting percentage dropped to 19 percent from the field the Bonneys picked up the offense also shooting 31% from the field in the first half going to a whopping 55% from the field and 50% from the arc. You're not going to, you're not going to lose if you shoot 55% from the field and 50% from the arc, you're Mm -hmm. just not going to lose. Yeah. Right. And then they dominated the points and the paint in that game and the points off turnovers. And in game one, it was the Bonneys that, you know, had the havoc defense, not, not the Rams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this game, the bodies were led by the silent assassin, Dom Welch. He had 19 points mm-hmm. and Jaron English had 18 points. So, you know, it, it, and, um, Attaway didn't have a big game in the, in that first game, right. In January, he was still feeling himself around being new to the team. Um, Then VCU, of course, was led by Highland with 16 points. So then in the second game, the rematch in February in Richmond was a much closer game. VCU winning 67-64. VCU once again led at the half, but by a much smaller margin, this time 33-26. And the problem for Bonaventure in the first half, was, you know, they shot only 16% from three point range. Yeah. You know, and that caused them to fall behind in the first half. And, you know, the Bonnies did make another run in the second half, winning the, the second half. You know, and, the, and they and they had a chance to tie it. They came up just short with, you know, Dom Welch missing the game, tying three as the clock expired. And and the key to the Bonnie's second half success was they they held the Rams to an underwhelming nine percent three-point. Uh, field goal percentage coming down from 33 percent in the first half so you know the bodies didn't have the points in the paint advantage in this game as they did in the first game um and you know vcu had the advantage in points off turnovers and second chance points in this game and and if you recall k-dog the problem for bonaventure in this game was they were in foul trouble right so soon fouled out Welch Attaway and Holmes all had four fouls. So, you know, there were times where, you know, these guys had to sit because of their, their foul trouble. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the bonus can't afford to have that happen to the chip or else they're going to lose. And in this game, Bones Highland led VCU with 22 in this game. And then in this game, Attaway, you know, he led the way for the bonus with 23 points Mm -hmm. and then Osoon had five blocks in this game. So he made his presence known. So, you know, with that being said, that's a summary of their first two games this year. Looking at the, the chip now, VCU ranks sixth in points scored, and the Bonas ranked nine. VCU averages about two more points per game than Bonaventure. Defensively, Bonas, Bonas ranks first and VCU third, and, and Bonas gives up about four less points per game than VCU. Bonnie's ranks second in the points margin at 10. BCU is fourth at seven points. So you're starting to see a lot of these, they're close in a lot of these stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, both teams are about the same in field goal percentage, and they rank one two in opposition field goal percentage. And the Bonnies hold a slight advantage in that category. Bonnies also have a slight advantage in a three-point field goal percentage. And they're about the same with the opposition three-point percentage. So uh, generally the Bonnies are a better rebounding team, believe it or not uh vc and believe it or not vcu turns the ball over more than bonaventure right yeah but they also force more turnovers than the bonnie thus the the havoc nickname uh vcu has the leading score in the a10 and bones highland and and bonnie's probably has the defensive player of the year and oh soon right so the Mm -hmm. bonnie's have a they have a more balanced attack i think than vcu um you know, you got, you know, the Bonnies had all, all five starters average double digits, right? Yeah. Um, so these two teams are evenly matched on paper. Both teams are dominant home. Both teams are just about 500 on the road. You know, now what one thing is that I, I give Bonaventure the advantage in experience. And and, mm-hmm. that, and, the, and this is odd to say, considering there's not a senior on the team, but, you know 2 years ago they 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 lost to St. Louis in the A10 chip mm-hmm. right osoon was was starting dom welch was starting and lofton was st- starting so three of their five starters played in that game mm-hmm. they, so so they know what it's all about they, they they probably have that bitter taste in their mouth still and if i recall correctly you know they had a chance to uh, either tie or win the game on the last shot of the game. And, and yes. I think Kyle Lofton took the last shot no, of the game. Was, uh, no, it was Nelson it was Court. Okay. And, you know, they, they lost. So yeah. I, I think for that reason, they have the experience advantage over VCU in these kinds of pressure games. So I, I think the key in this game will be whether the Bonnies get off to a strong start or not right they typically Mm -hmm. fall behind in games it seems
0: yeah you know
1: if they get off to a strong start and stay out of foul trouble then they're going to win this game and they're going to win the a10 chip the first five to ten minutes of this game will be key i think vcu won't won't win if they don't win that first five to ten minutes of the game and i think Mm -hmm. the Bonnies will definitely win if they control that that first five to ten minutes of the game yeah. So the Bonnies have been playing their best basketball lately. They almost beat VCU at home. And as a result of that, as a result of their experience, as a result of their defense, I am picking the Bonnies to be the undisputed A-10 champion, winning the tournament and the regular season, which should give themselves a pretty good seed in the big dance. So that's, that's the unbiased prediction, k Dog.
0: Yeah, well, that's pretty good. And uh, I kind of like how you said they got to win the first five minutes of the game. And uh, that that's what they did against St. Louis. And they, they blew out St. Louis in the end. So I think. Yeah,
1: well, they, they typically start slow, right?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right with that one. They they got to come out hot and uh, shoot, just sh- keep on shooting like they did against St. Louis in the first half. I, I agree with you. And, yeah. and then
1: it's all theirs, and then it's on to Indianapolis.
0: Yep. So uh, we'll see what happens on uh, next Sunday for the A10 championship game. But now that we're done with the A10 basketball uh, portion, we'll move on to the NBA basketball portion. And we'll start out with the Nets and Knicks rewind and preview. And we'll start out first with the Nets. And the Nets last week, uh, they had a pretty good week. Uh, they went two and zero last week, actually. I should say, uh, they only had two games this uh, last week. On Monday, they played the Spurs, and Wednesday, they played the Rockets. So we'll start out with the Spurs game. And the Nets won one twenty four to one thirteen uh, in overtime. I don't think this game should have gotten to overtime, but uh, a great shot at the, at the end of uh, by uh, the Spurs player to uh, tie this game up and descend it into overtime. Uh, Kyrie missed a shot to, to win it in the fourth quarter, but uh, he, he couldn't uh, hit the layup, but uh, they did win in overtime by 11. So it just showed that uh It was just a little flash in the pan for the Spurs, but the Spurs are a good team. Uh, The top performer for the Nets was MVP James Harden. 30 points, 14 rebounds, 15 assists, and two steals. And James shot 12 for 23 and 3 for 7 from 3. Kyrie Irving also had 27 points on 9 of 24 shooting, 6 of 10 from 3. Uh, 9 of 24 is not that good, but 6 of 10 is from three-point land. But uh, Bruce Brown starting small forward, 23 points, 10 of 13 shooting, and 2 for 3 from beyond the arc. And uh, the rookie off the bench, the center, the new center from Georgia, Nicholas Claxton, had 17 points and 3 rebounds off the bench in 17 minutes. So I think that uh, Claxton is going to be uh, one of the new and up-and-coming uh, players for the Nets that they could use at the center position, and he also had a very good defensive game. But uh, Nets win one twenty-four to one thirteen against the Spurs.
1: Yeah, this was um, you know this was an interesting game. I thought the Nets would be two and zero this this week. Yeah. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: um, you know, they started off well against the Spurs. Very entertaining game. Again, no Durant. He's out at least through the all-star break, as previously reported. And um, I wouldn't rush him back. There really is no need to rush him back. What's the point? And uh, this was an overtime classic. And, you know, they beat a good Spurs team. You said it, K-Dog. The Spurs are a good team and they're well coached by Pop. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this game looked to be a Nets win in regulation and the Spurs went on this 10-0 run to end the game and force yeah. overtime, right? So you talked about the Spurs point guard DeJounte Murray, you know, he drains a triple with Harden defending him as time expired to tie it at 108, but then the overtime was all Nets. They, they woke up. They're probably mad that they had to play overtime, <laughs> yeah. um, right? You know, they don't get paid for overtime. They don't want to play it. And the you know the Nets opened the OT on fire, first scored the first eight points, took control of the game, and the you know the I, this is this is ironic that the Nets snapped a 17-game losing streak at San Antonio, winning for the first time since January of 2002, right? Wow. Uh, you know, and then you know you talked about. Harden you know he had another triple double 30 15 and 14 you know and, and I was wrong about Harden he adapts his game to the situation you know when he has to be the man he's the man and he was the man in this game and this was his seventh triple double in 22 games with the Nets I mean seven triple doubles in 22 games my goodness yeah and he probably could have more but a lot of times he's just passing the ball in some of these games when mm-hmm. Durant's playing and Irving's playing that, you know, he's passing the ball. And you talked about Bruce Brown, you know, he continues to impress. He's been a great addition for the, uh, the nets. Right. And um, you know, the Spurs had five players in double digits, but it just wasn't enough. And the nets look to start a new winning streak with the Rockets up next.
0: Yeah. And speaking of the, The Rockets up next. It was James Harden's first game back in Houston uh, at first game as a net against the Rockets, and uh, it went pretty well to say the least for Harden. The Nets won 132 to 114. Uh, This game wasn't close at all, either. Uh, At the half, the Nets were up. The Nets were up 13 at the half. They only increased it in third quarter. And they just blew him out in the fourth quarter as well. But uh, top performer was uh, the man that came to beat the Rockets, James Harden. 29 points, 10 rebounds, 14 assists, 3 steals, and a block. Shooting 10 of 15 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3. Kyrie also added 24 points. Bruce Brown almost had a triple-double, 17 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. And uh, Joe Harris had 19 Nicholas Claxton. Once again, 16 points and eight rebounds on seven of eight shooting. DeAndre Jordan added a double double as well. Uh, everyone was just clicking on all cylinders in this one for the nets. And they easily beat the Rockets uh, 132 to 114.
1: Yeah. The Rockets made, you know, this was a game early, right? They kept it within three points, Uh in the first quarter. And then, you know, after the first quarter, the momentum started to shift in the second quarter. Nets extend the lead to 13 at the half. Then they increased the lead to 16 after three. The Rockets, you know, they went on a 10-0 run in the fourth, cutting the lead to eight, but then the Nets responded with their own 8-0 run, getting the lead back up to 16. And that was all she wrote, sending the Rockets to, ironically, their 13th straight loss, right? James Harden is number 13, and they sent them the 13th straight loss. And this is the worst losing streak for the Rockets since they lost 15 in a row back in 2001 so you know they, they haven't had this type of losing in houston in a long time mm-hmm. and uh the nets they set a franchise record with their seventh road win in a row and they're 11 and 12 on the road this season k dog 11 and 12 on the road yeah that's not good you know and then they they did this on the back of Harden. and he had you know his eighth triple double of the season scoring th- uh you know And Harden has to be considered an MVP candidate because he's adapted his game to each situation, you know, with Durant still out, Harden has played the point, dishing out assists, has taken charge in the scoring column when he had to. And I'm just very surprised because I didn't expect this from the beard, but he deserves a lot of credit. He plays every day. He doesn't ask for the star treatment day off. And he does what is needed to win the game. I thought he was completely a me player, but he's proved me wrong because he's demonstrated, honestly, that he's all about the team. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the team role the team needs him to play, he'll do it. If he has to score, he'll score. If he has to dish, he'll dish. So, you know, unusually, the Nets dominated the boards and the point points in the paint. And, you know, this is typically where the Nets struggle. But you talked about Klax mm-hmm. and k Dog. You know, and he's done a nice job and is is, and is improving every game since his return. Right. Yeah. You know, and and the Nets also killed Houston, converting turnovers to points. And, you know, these are all signs of a losing team, which the, uh, you know, Rockets have become. This game, you know, leaves the Nets one behind the Sixers in the loss column going into the all star break. And, you know, not bad considering they played the last month without Durant. And, and, you know, they're probably going to be playing without him for a period of time after the All-Star mm-hmm. break. I'm not convinced he's coming back like the day, at, you know, the first game after the All-Star break. I think he's going to be out for, you know, who knows, another week or two at least. Yeah. But uh, the second half of the season should be really fun with the Nets if uh, if and when Durant comes back and they got the three of those guys rolling and, you know, you, you still got Joe Harris, right? you know, uh, Brown is really come into his zone. I mean, he's playing really well. You got, uh, Claxton who's doing a really nice job and I could see him taking over for Deandre Jordan at some point, um, at least in my opinion. So I I think they're going to be fun to fun to uh, to watch and see what happens with them. I mean, New York basketball is fun. Yeah. So,
0: uh, yeah, then that's, uh, they go into the break second place in the East. Um, and, uh, the, we'll, we'll look at the week ahead after the all-star game. Uh, they have two games next week, one on Thursday and then one on Saturday. Uh, one game against the Celtics, uh, the struggling Celtics, I should say. And, uh, one against the Pistons, uh, one of the worst teams in the NBA. Uh, I think the Nets go two and zero. uh, in the week after the all-star break.
1: You know, uh, both games at home? Yeah, both games are home. Okay. Yeah, so I I think, see, see, for me, I get worried about the the Nets when they have uh, time off, right? This is a team that, this was a team that was rolling. You know, fortunately, they're playing a Celtics team that is struggling. They've had some injuries with players being out. Um, so I, I, think the nets will get by in this game against the Celtics mm-hmm. with, with, or without Durant, I think they'll get by, uh, but they're going to have to play well. And then, you know, if, if I could, if they're going to lose one of these two games, honestly, I could see him losing to the Pistons, <laughs> right? I really could, because, you know, I could see him beating the Celtics, making a statement within the division and then losing to Detroit. I mean, and you know they'll probably arrest everybody and nobody will play against Detroit and you know they'll lose the game so I think they'll go 2-0 and but I could see them going 1-1 and and if they do go 1-1 and it'll be because they take the game against the Pistons off you know typically they've struggled struggled against these teams that aren't any good because I think I just think you know they they you know they think they're just going to show up and and yeah. win Mm -hmm. or they rest their players and, you know, you know, and, and when the, I think when the other players see that they're resting their star, their starter players, they kind of just, you know, get overconfident. That's just my opinion. So they, they, they they should, they should win too, but I could see them splitting.
0: Yeah. Um, So uh, we, we both think they will be two and I could see them going one and one as well, but uh, we'll move on to the Knicks rewind for last week and the last week the knicks also only had two games one at san antonio and then one versus the pistons uh they went one and one on the week and i predicted them to be one and one on the week and they lost against the spurs which i picked uh the first game on tuesday they lost in san antonio 119 to 93 and uh the San Antonio controlled this game from the jump. Uh, it was close. It was close in the first half, but in the third quarter, the Spurs went on a scoring run and outscored the Knicks in the third quarter, 36 to 21. And that was basically what blew the game wide open. Uh, the leading, uh, leading scorer for the Spurs was Trey Lyles at power forward, 18 points, seven of 13 shooting four of six from three. Deontay Murray also added uh, 17 points and six rebounds and six assists. And DeMar DeRozan also had a double, double 10 points and 11 assists off the bench. They also had Patty Mills with 14 points and Lucas Somanich, with uh, 14 points as well on the Knicks side it was Emmanuel quickly that led the game in points 26 points on 8 of 21 shooting Julius Randle added a double double once again 14 points and 11 rebounds RJ Barrett added 15 points as well and Frank Nilikina uh had 13 points and I think this was his uh debut for the season i think he was injured so uh 13 points in his debut but the knicks couldn't get it done and lost 119 to 93 to the spurs
1: yeah K dog the the knicks you know they got the benefit of the of playing the spurs on the second night of a back-to-back after the nets beat them the night earlier too yeah an overtime game but it didn't help right and and the spurs snapped the knicks three-game win streak and it's it's not and also too it's not unusual for the Knicks to lose in San Antonio, you know, I talked about the Nets uh losing streak in San Antonio. So the Knicks haven't won in San Antonio since 2014, so you yeah. know this is this is truly the Alamo for the New York basketball teams. You know, they go into San Antonio and they just get massacred, mm-hmm. right? So uh the Knicks were out were without Derrick Rose in this game. And then they led for the majority of the first half with the Spurs taking lead towards the end of the first half. And they never relinquished it. And the Knicks, you know, who usually win the points in the paint, lost that stat on this night. And the big issue for the Knicks was turnovers, having 16 turnovers in the game. Yeah, And the Spurs also had a significant margin in second chance points. This was the first game the Knicks haven't scored over 100 points in a game since February 17th. And, you know, it's really hard to win in the NBA nowadays if you don't score over 100 points. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you talked about this, the stats and, you know, yep. Emmanuel quickly. I, I think he's got to be considered for rookie of the year. He's got he's got to be there. Right. And Julius Randle and another double double. And he's definitely the Knicks MVP to date. And, you know, when do you start talking about this guy as uh, MVP in the in the league? Because, you know, the Knicks are what they're in fifth place at the all-star break. You know, they don't even have to play in a playing play game for the playoffs if, uh, if it stays this way for the rest of the season. And they're not doing that without uh, Julius Randle. No way. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he, he's got to be really uh, – they got to start considering him for just MVP of the league. Uh, You know, so, you know, the Knicks, um, you know, they beat a team that had some players out due to COVID. uh, They lost to a team that had some players out due to COVID-19, including Rudy Gay. Um, And they had the – so they had the opportunity to uh, beat beat a team that was undermanned, right? And DeRozan just came back the night before – against the Nets. So you know he he you didn't think he would have his C legs under him, but you know, everything he puts up goes in. So the, the Knicks have the opportunity to get healthy playing the Pistons and they beat the Pistons earlier in the week. And you know beat you you have to beat if you're the Knicks, you have to beat the Pistons. You can't lose those games.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. If you're the Knicks, you got you gotta win that, especially with man man down team due to COVID but uh they they moved on to their final game at home against the Pistons going into the all-star break and they went into the all-star break on a high note beating the Pistons 114 to 104 uh this game was uh not really that close the entire game either uh the, the Knicks controlled Detroit handily uh the uh, Pistons tried to make it a game in the fourth quarter, but uh, they could not muster up enough offense to lead the comeback. But uh, Julius Randle was the leading scorer and performer on this team. Once again, 27 points, 16 rebounds, and 7 assists on 11 of 19 shooting. Uh, there was also two other players that were in the 20-point uh, points margin. RJ Barrett with 21 points on nine of 13 shooting and Alfred Payton uh, with 20 points on seven of 14 shooting. Maryland's Noel added 12 points and 11 rebounds uh, in his start. Uh, Emmanuel quickly on the bench only had uh, 12 minutes and zero points on the night, which was interesting. Uh, But on the other side, the leading uh, performer was Mason Plumley with 12 points and 13 rebounds with the double double. A lot of uh, they also had Sadiq Bay, the rookie out of Villanova, with 14 points as well. And Wayne Ellington had 17 points, but the the Knicks defense just uh, showed why they're a playoff team right now, and they got it done, and they are over 500 going into the all-star break. That's probably the first time
1: in a while. It's been a, uh, it's been a long time since the, the Knicks uh, were over 500 at this late in the season. And in fact, it's the first time since 2012, 2013 season that they've been over 500 at this point in the season. So, so it has been quite a long time for the Knickerbockers here And, you know, they did what they had to do, and they beat an inferior team. They go into the break on a a winning note. And they won this game, as they typically do, with rebounding and points in the paint. They got on top early, went wire to wire in this game. They led by six after the first quarter, 13 at the half. And they didn't let up on the Pistons. They extend their lead to 19 after three quarters, and it kind of coasted the rest of the way. And the Knicks, they really play hard and, and, mm-hmm. and do the hard things. And that's rebounding and scoring in the paint. And if you can consistently do that, then you're, you're going to win consistently. And that has been the Knicks formula for success. They had a balanced attack, and they seem to get points. When one person is not scoring, they seem to get points from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the only constant is Julius Randle who just scores. You know, you know he, he had another double-double in this game. Um, He just scores every game pretty much. And, um, you know, Thibodeau really has them playing well. I think they will be a force to contend with in the second half. I think they're playing with a lot of confidence. And uh, they currently are 18 and 17 and they reside in fifth place going into the breaks. So they're well positioned to make the playoffs without having to be in the play playing around. And then the Knicks haven't made the playoffs in the past seven years. So it's been a long drought for the Knicks even to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're positioned to make the playoffs, you know, um, going in based on where they are today, going into the all-star game. So they were out, they were without Derek Rose again for the second straight game. So I don't know if it's tied to COVID uh, tracing, contact tracing or not. But, um, you know, they, they are able to win without them. They should be able to win without him. And, you know, they go into the all-star game. They have representation uh, with, from Julius Randle at the all-star game. Mm-hmm. Good for him. And they got uh, Obi Toppin in the slam dunk contest, yeah. k
0: Dog, So that should be, uh, that should be fun. Uh, I've seen tons of dunks from Obi in his time in the a-10 so i know he could throw some mean jams down so hopefully he could uh represent and uh represent new york basketball in the slam dunk contest and a-10 basketball and win this thing
1: yeah that would be pretty interesting if he can uh you know win this gain some confidence come back in the second half of uh the nba season you know and, st- and start making the impact that the Knicks uh, are hoping that he's going to make,
0: yeah. And also, uh, speaking of the all star game, uh, team KD, uh, since KD was the captain, that's the team of the all star game. Uh, he picked all the New York uh, players for his team, obviously, Kyrie and Harden, and he also picked Julius on his team. So it looks like the Knicks and Nets fans are finally going to root for the same team usually uh their rivals but uh this this uh all-star
1: game will be uh rooting for the same team well i think this is going to be the first time in a while they have someone to root for because usually the knicks and Nets yeah. don't have anybody on the all-star yeah. team
0: yeah that is that is yeah. actually very
1: true <laughs> usually nobody in new york's watching the all-star game because they don't have any representation so yeah. you know this, this season they got some representation well-deserved representation so uh you know, uh, New York fans will have s- some reason to, to watch this exhibition because it's not a real game. It's just completely an exhibition uh, yeah. game. Right. So, but uh, I guess people get enjoyment out of it. I, I really, you know, I, I think having this all star game uh, in this season. Yeah, it's bad. It should have been canceled. I, I think, you know, to me, it's ridiculous that, you know, you're going to have an all star game, no fans. Uh, you, you have all these players descend onto Atlanta for this game. You have a half, uh, uh, a slam dunk contest at the halftime. And I don't know when they're doing the three point contest or any of that. I think it's before the game. Yeah. I don't know. But to me, um, you know, you just got, you, you should have just canceled it, in my humble opinion, and get, get, given the players a, a few days off. Uh, to rest up, make sure you manage the players when you give them a few days off so that they don't, you know, uh, contract COVID and then spread it mm-hmm. to their teams and so forth. Um, but, hey, if, 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 uh, if they're able to pull it off, they pull it off. And, uh, you know, hopefully people enjoy it.
0: Yep. And uh, uh, looking to the week ahead for the Knicks after the All-Star break, there two games for them on Thursday and Saturday uh, play the same days as the the Nets do. One game is against the Milwaukee bucks at Milwaukee. And then the second game is at Oklahoma city for the OKC thunder. Um, These are two tough games. I know that uh, the thunder are under 500, but they still have a pretty good uh, team led by shy Gilgis, Alexander. Um, But I think that I'll give the Knicks the benefit of the doubt. They'll win in OKC, lose against the Bucs, one and one
1: on the week. So, you know, I think think the Knicks will go one and one as well, but I don't think it's going to go the way you think it's going to go, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Knicks, if you look at their record, they have a very good record against winning teams and they don't play very well against losing teams, although they beat up on Detroit uh, this past week. And, you know, the Knicks, if they really want to be considered contenders, they have to play a good game against Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. They just have to. So I'm thinking the Knicks are going to play a good game against Milwaukee. They're going to win that game and then you know they're going to stub their toe on OKC because it's going to be a letdown game.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could see both ways. Uh, the Knicks last time they played Milwaukee, they destroyed them one hundred and thirty to one hundred
1: and ten. Yeah, so you, obviously they're they're able they're capable of doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Basketball, and, and I just think based on you know their record, based on their record against winning teams, that um, and you know the need to really make a statement and beat this team to show them that, you know, they could play with the, uh, the big, big teams of the Eastern conference. Uh, they're going to have to win this game. And I, and I think they're going to win it.
0: Yeah. that Yeah. I, I, I agree. They could go, uh, they could go one. I think that the wins could go either way in this one, but I think that they'll get the win against the thunder. But uh, now that we're done with the NBA, we'll move on to our final topic of the day, which is the NHL and the Islanders and Rangers rewind and preview. And we'll start out with the Islanders and the Islanders had a four game stint this week and they went four and Oh, they played the devils on Tuesday and then they had a three game matchup with the Sabres on Thursday, Saturday, and uh, today they just won as well, but we'll start out with the devil's game. And uh, the Islanders won this one two to one against the Devils. Uh, there was no scoring for the first two periods, lockdown goaltending by uh, Varlamov and Dell for the Devils. But uh, the third period is where it started going. Uh, like you always say, it was tied going into the third, but then the Islanders uh, pulled away. With a goal from Ollie Wallstrom, he's uh, coming into his own with his fourth goal of the season in this game. Uh, and then Anders Lee scored right behind him six minutes later. Anders Lee, the captain's ninth goal of the season. And then the Devils try to get back into it with, uh, with an a empty, empty netter. They had six men on the ice uh, for the offensive side, and Miles Wood scored for them. But that's all they could muster up, and the Islanders won 2-1. Varlamov had 28 saves on 29 attempts, and uh, uh, the other two stars were Wallstrom and Lee with the two goals. But uh, the Islanders controlled this game, letting making the Devils go 0 for 4 on the power play, and uh, one eventually won this
1: game 2-1. Yes, k Dog. Uh, you know, the Islanders ha- had another win against the Devils, and, you know, this was not an entertaining game. You know, watching it, uh, I think the cardboard cutouts even fell asleep during this game. You know, it was tied at zero after two periods, and you already said it. Yes, the Isles, Isles were tied once again going into the third period. You know, they finally got on the board Uh, on the fourth goal of the year by Ollie Wallstrom and, you know, at the 16 minute mark and, you know, Ollie continues to develop and he's really starting to show why the Isles picked him in the first round. You know, he's impressed trots and the coaching staff. So I expect Ollie's here to stay. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't think he's going to be part of the taxi squad any longer. He got his chance and he's capitalizing on it and he's given the Isles some much needed scoring punch. You know, this guy is, this guy has a lot of skill and can score and, um, you know, the Islanders increased their lead at, a, at 12-09 of the third on a goal by Anders Lee. And, you know, Lee got a rebound off the board behind the net. He took a couple swipes at the puck and behind the Devils goalie on the second swipe. And um, Miles Wood broke up the shutout with his seventh of the year at 1946 of the game. So, you know, Barlamov rebounded with an excellent performance stopping 28 to 29 shots after, you know, an underwhelming performance again against Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the shutout was broken late in the game as he earned, as he earned, uh, he really earned a shutout, even though he didn't get it. And I'm not sure how the Isles won this game with only 20 shots on net. No, oh, yeah. You know, the devils have lost now lost six of their last seven. They're battling the Sabres to join us in the cellar. Yeah. And the, you know, the turning point of the game was when the Isles killed the two-man Devils' advantage in the second period. Devils were 0-4 on the power play. And, you know, that's all you really needed to know about New Jersey and and this game. Yeah. um,
0: Yeah, the Devils are going on a downward spiral after a pretty decent start. But uh, the the Islanders moved on to their next game Thursday against the Sabres. And surprisingly – the three wins, all three wins were by a score of five to two against the Sabres this week. So that's an interesting stat, but, uh,
1: that that is a pretty interesting five too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But the first game, uh, the Islanders played the AHL Sabres, um, and they won five to, uh, this game was, wasn't really close at all either. Uh, they, the Islanders just dominated on the offensive side. Elias uh, Sorokin only saw 18 shot attempts and saved 16 of them. On the other side, uh, Jonas Johansson saw 45 shots, and uh, the Islanders took advantage of that. Uh, in the first period, they had two goals, one by uh, Noah Dobson, the defenseman, uh, also a part of the – also a part of the Wallstrom uh, draft. So hopefully he's he's starting to heat up as well. He's playing pretty good defense as of late. He's Matt playing Martin, well. Yeah, Matt Martin added a goal as well in the first period. And then in the second period, Taylor Hall cut into the lead, making it 2-1. But Beauvillier late into the second capitalized and made it 3-1 for the Isles. And then in the third period, uh, wrist aligning goal for the Sabres was sandwiched by a Jordan Eberly goal and then a Matt Martin second goal of the game sniper Matt Martin yeah but, um, the Islanders won five two they outshot the the Sabres 45 to 18 the Sabres didn't have a power play in this game either and the Islanders dominated the uh faceoff
1: game a 27 to 21 yes k dog buffalo must think they are in the groundhogs day movie because in addition to losing these three games five to two (laughs) every game every game seems to be the same for them especially against the Isles. because in in this first game the Isles jumped out to a two nothing lead in the first period period against buffalo i mean and in the prior games Almost all of them, the Isles were leading 2 nothing after the third. So it's, uh, you know, honestly, I'm getting fatigued watching the Islanders beat up on Buffalo. It's just, it's just not entertaining. I mean, yeah, by the time I got to the third game, I'm like, can, can Buffalo, I'm, I'm glad the Islanders are catching them when they're absolutely atrocious because eventually they're going to win a game. Yeah. Right. Eventually they're going to win a game. I'm maybe, just glad that maybe. the Islanders are beat <laughs> up on them while they're down. But uh, I mean, geez, yeah, uh, Buffalo hockey is just bad. <laughs> they oh, got to get really demoted. They got to, they got to play the Binghamton devils. Uh, it's, it's really, it's really bad. But anyway, you know, they, you talked about Dobson getting his second in the year and he's playing solid on the blue line with Andy green, good tandem. The, you know, the young kid work, you know, learn from uh, the men, the, veteran there mm-hmm. matt martin sniper getting his third and fourth goals of the year um you know and buffalo cut the lead 2 one in the second but then beauvillier powered in a goal um and that's how the second period ended and, and typically the islanders are good when leading into the third period and this game was no different you know eberly makes it 4-1 on his ninth of the season at about the four minute mark and that kind of put that put the game away and then Buffalo scored to make it 4-2. Martin scored again, making it a 5-2. And, uh, you know, the Islanders had Sorokin in net, and he was pretty good. He wasn't spectacular, but he got the job uh, done, yeah. and, and he gave Varley a much-needed rest. Sorokin, you know, I think he was sleeping most of the game. He made <laughs> You know, they only had 18 shots on goal, so he made 16 saves. And and as you said, the Islanders fired 45 shots on yeah the goal on the sabers goalie and that is so atypical of the islanders you know it usually takes them two games to fire that amount of rubber at a goalie not the you know one game and you know the sabers didn't have a power play in this game the Isles power play was 0 for 3 and you know the Isles have now won you know three what amounts to three consecutive against the sabers this year and uh you know that doesn't include the two that were remaining in this week
0: yeah, and we'll move on to the next one—the the the Saturday game, yesterday's game, and the, it was the same score, like you said. Groundhogs day, Islanders beat the Sabers five to two. Uh, surprisingly, the Sabers took a one nothing lead in the first first period. Yeah, and, and by uh, Jacob Bryson, the defenseman for the Sabers, and no more scoring in the first. First period for uh either team so they led after one period uh one to nothing but then the islanders just they they stepped on the pedal and uh scored four goals in the second period led by uh the first goal matt barzell goal of the year has to be
1: oh no doubt uh,
0: yeah an amazing goal through the legs and uh w- made a hut and slide To the other side, easy put away. But yeah, goal of the year. Another goal scored by Brock Nelson at the five-minute mark. And then uh, three minutes later, Clutterbuck added to the scoring uh, barrage. And then Scott Mayfield got in on the scoring as well. The defenseman is second of the year. Uh, In the third period, Sam Reinhart closed the lead, making it 4-2. But uh, Anders Lee, the captain, closed it out, uh, scoring a, a, almost a minute later with his 10th of the season. Uh, Varlamov had a decent game, 20 saves on 22 save attempts, uh, good for a 91 save percentage. Uh, Hutton, on the other side, uh, recorded his, uh, uh, his one, another loss on the season. After this week, he was 1-7. in seven. And one on the season, which is not good, giving up five goals on uh, 29 attempts. But uh, the Sabres were 0 for 1 on the power play. The Isles didn't have a power play. And uh, surprisingly, the shot department was closer, but the Isles still beat them 29 to 22 in the shot department. But uh, yeah, Isles win 5 2 once again. And uh, the Sabres are just fall, free falling at this
1: point. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's really, um, I mean, I think you've covered this game very well. The, the Barzell goal was the, you know, the highlight of this game. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if anybody hasn't seen that Barzell goal, you got to see that Barzell goal because I mean, he was, he was going full speed. He picks yeah. up this puck. He fights off the Buffalo defender, you know, who falls down, you know, as he's, as he's cutting to the goal, going from right to left. hmm you know, in front of the goal, and, and he seemingly, seemingly is trying to make a move from the left side of the net, only to pass it back, you know, to his right with his stick through his legs, shooting with the stick through his legs. I mean, you can't even describe it. it, it but if you haven't yeah. seen it, you have to watch it because there's going to be no better goal uh, this season. There's going to be no better goal. I mean, people practice that uh, at half speed. You know, people try to do it in, you know, the all-star game or a skills competition. But, you know, I I haven't seen anybody do it the way he did it going, you know, full speed, 20 miles per hour in in a game. Right. So and and, but the funny thing about that that goal, k Dog. Is they gave assists to Eberly and Mayfield, which is a complete joke. I mean, this was completely individual. Yeah, it should have been unassisted. Completely. This should not be a two assist goal. It definitely should be unassisted. And this is how Wayne Gretzky got 200 points in a season because he was getting assists for just touching the puck, like these two guys did. I mean, they did not set up Matt Barzell. This was all Barzell, and there should have been no assists, but you know. Hey, more power to them they each get a a point uh you know and and help that helps out but you know then the floodgates open you talked about it with nelson and clutterbuck and then these are all good shots and then mayfield's mayfield shot was a snipe too i mean Mm -hmm. he he, he got on the scoring column great feed cross ice pass and he sniped it just under the crossbar you know and, and and the goalie hutton is like probably like get me out of here cuz you yeah. know they, they they were just relentless um you know over that short period of time and then they they restored their three their three goal lead with Anders Lee and then Varley was solid in goal he stopped 20 of 22 uh it was a clean game with only one penalty called in the Isles but Buffalo cur- couldn't convert and uh for the Isles you know they have a four game winning streak capital capitalizing on playing the cellar dwellers, sabres, and devils, but hey, you got to beat who's on your schedule. And yeah. uh, you know, so they have one more against Buffalo. And the the thing is the Isles remain undefeated at home in regulation. Yeah. You know, this game was their eighth straight home, you know, this was their eighth home game. And the Isles must love the home cooking. And uh, meanwhile, for Buffalo, it, it doesn't matter where Buffalo plays because they can't they, – they can lose anywhere, yeah. right? And they're, yeah. you know, so they're 2-7-1 and one in their last 10. And, again, hopefully the Isles are catching them at the right time. They get the three-game sweep and, you know, Buffalo finds their winning touch once uh, they move on from the island.
0: Yeah, and then the last game uh, was today, and they won 5-2 once again. Uh, This game wasn't uh, It got close in the third period, but uh, the Islanders scored three straight goals in the second period. Uh, One by Anders Lee, his 11th of the season, the captain uh, Brock Nelson, eighth of the season. And then Casey Sezikis finds the net for his fourth of the season in the second period. And then the third period uh, started off with two Sabre goals by Jeff Skinner. And then uh, Colin Miller added to the Sabres scoring. And then uh, Clutterbuck and Nelson uh, did cleanup duty and uh, scored two more goals after them, making it 5-2 to two once again. Uh, Ilya Sorokin, fourth win of the season. Uh, 24 saves on 26 save attempts, 92 save percentage. And then Jonas Johansson, uh, he's just getting shelled. 20 20 uh 25 saves on 29 shot attempts and he is 0 for 3 on the season. The Isles controlled the shot department once again and they controlled the face off department and uh it moved them to the three game sweep and uh looking on to next week for the sa- uh looking on to next week for the Islanders.
1: Yeah, I mean th- this game was much of the same. As, as all the, as all the other games. And, and like I said before, I, I'm just fatigued watching the Islanders beat up on Buffalo. Cause Buffalo is just bad. Mm-hmm. They, they, they show no signs of life. Whatsoever. I mean, they got no fire. They're not physical. I mean, they're just, I don't know. They're just out there. They're, they're out there skating around. They, they just don't seem to be playing with any fire. They're again, they're not physical at all. And, you know, they just see they seem to play fairly well for periods of time. And then, you know, like in this game, the Islanders just exploded for two or three goals in like five minutes. Yeah. You know, so it seems to be a theme with Buffalo that they kind of lose their way for short periods of time, but they lose it long enough that the game's over. Right. And, you know, the Islanders got sloppy in this one, in the uh, third period up three zip, they give, they give up two goals to Buffalo and and the second goal uh, Sorokin that that he shouldn't have given up that goal. You know, the the Buffalo player shot the puck between his body and his arm Mm -hmm. and it was a good shot, but, you know, Sorokin wasn't positioned the way he needs to be. Otherwise he would have made that, that shot and the Islanders got a little bit sloppy, I think. You know, they they probably got even fatigued from playing Buffalo because, (laughs) you know, they're just just not competitive. And, you know, you want to play. You're you're at your best when you're playing teams that are at their best. And Buffalo's just not at their best. Mm -hmm. Right. They're they're just not at their best. And, And they're at the bottom of the league. They're in the cellar with us. They 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 have they show no signs of life. So, you know, it'll be interesting. The Islanders have now won five in a row, right? They're five and oh, in um, their last five. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they fare next week when they start play, when they step up, uh, in the competition level, because, you know, you, you got to play, you got to beat who's on your schedule and yeah, mm-hmm. I'm glad, I'm glad they went four and zero against the two worst teams in the, in their division, which they have to do right. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll, we'll see how they fare going forward. I mean, it was a great week for them. No, no question about it. I mean, you go, you, you know, you get 10 points in five games, you've done everything that you can possibly do.
0: Yeah. Um, now looking on to next week for the Isles, it's another four game week starting on Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday is against the Bruins and then they have a three game matchup. Uh, once again, uh, a three-game uh, weekend with the, the the other bad team in the Eastern Division, the Devils, uh, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, I think, personally, I think the Isles might go 4-0 again this week. But uh, I could see them. I think that they're going to step up their game uh, against the Bruins and beat them. I think that if they were to lose, it would be – a game at the Prudential Center against the Devils. They have two games back-to-back at the Prudential Center, and I think one of those could be losses. So I think 4-0 once again, but uh, I could see 3-1 on the week.
1: I agree with you, k Dog. I think the the Islanders go 3-1. I think they beat Boston. They've had good success against Boston. They seem to match up well against Boston. I could see them losing one of three against the Devils. You know the the Devils are at the bottom of the league as well, but I think I think they're playing a little bit more inspired than Buffalo. I, I think Buffalo. I mean, you see their body language on the ice. Yeah. You know, they just don't want to be there. It mm-hmm. seems like um, you know, and I don't blame them. Losing if you lose every game, um, you know that you play, playing, it's it kind of wears on you. But um, I, I could see the Islanders going three and one in this one and uh, this week. And if, if they could go three and one this week, I mean, they'll have an, have had an excellent two weeks and, and that'll position them really well for the mm-hmm. playoffs, really well for the playoffs. I mean, getting 10 points this week, they, they couldn't have done any better, obviously.
0: Yeah, that is, that is true. Um, now that we're done with the Islanders, we'll move on to the Rangers rewind and, uh, they had f- four games this week. Uh, well, we're, they're still waiting on their fourth game, uh, Sunday night against the Penguins, but they had the games, uh, already played Tuesday, <laughs> Thursday, and Saturday one against the Sabres and two at the Prudential center against the New Jersey devils. And they went three and Oh, this week, uh, surprising, but, uh, they they got it done without Panarin in these three games. We'll start out with the the Rangers versus the Sabers, and the Rangers won three two against the Sabers. Uh, it was a it was a pretty close game. In the first period, uh, they they the Rangers sandwich goals in between. Uh, they sandwiched a Sam Reinhart goal for the Sabers in between a Bucinevic goal, 28 seconds into the game. And then Alexi Lafreniere with his third of the season at uh, in the in two minutes into the third, uh, first period. And then only scoring in the second period uh, was a Chris Kreider goal. He's starting to heat up his 10th of the season. And then uh, Tobias Ryder scored for the Sabres, but no scoring in the third period, which gave, the uh Rangers the win Igor Shisterkin, uh saved 22 of 24 shots 91 save percentage Carter Hutton had uh 16 saves on 19 attempts which is just uh not that good 84 percent save per seven percentage but uh surprisingly the savers controlled the faceoffs uh 26 to 18 and they had more shots than the Rangers, but uh, the Rangers' goals uh, shots found the net more and uh, beat the Sabres three to 3-2. You know,
1: the, this, is, this is a game, and, and, and these are games, again, for the – well, for everybody in the, in the division, but, you know, for the Rangers, they have to beat Buffalo and they have to beat the Devils if they want to stay relevant in this really competitive division, this is the best division in the NHL bar none. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's going to be one or two good teams that are not going to make the playoffs because of how competitive this division is. Right. So, you know, this is a game the Rangers had to win. They got up early. Um, You know, they couldn't live with prosperity, giving up the tying goal, making it at one apiece 20 seconds later, beating Igor Lafreniere, you talked about, he makes it 2-1 with about two minutes left in the third uh, on his third of the season, right? And then Kreider, you know, he's heating up, like you said, he has six goals in his last five games. He only scored four in the first 15 games, and, you know, now he scores six in his last five. But Buffalo wouldn't go away. They made it 3-2 with four remaining in the second. And, uh, you know, the Rangers just kept the Sabres in check the rest of the way. They only gave up five shots in the third period, you know. And, and Buffalo, you know, as we've seen with the Islanders, they they, they they just can't seem to get an offense going. And then some, they, they don't get a lot of shots on net. Uh, so they only had five shots in the third period against the Rangers. And, um, you know, The the Isles we talked about, you know, they capitalized on Buffalo as well. And the goals by both teams within the first minute of the game marked the first time that that has happened since 2016, when the Kings and the Oilers both scored goals in the first minute of the game. So something that hasn't occurred in five Mm -hmm. years. Uh, Adam Fox is playing well. He had five, he has five assists in his last four games and he's really been a mainstay on the blue line for the blue shirts. Igor was solid and, you know, the Rangers get a game they had to have.
0: Yeah, you you are right. Uh, They did get that win and then they looked, they set their eyes on the devils uh, and they traveled to New Jersey and won six to one. Uh, It was just, absolute domination from the rangers but in the first period uh only one goal was scored by jack hughes of the devils no more from either team but then that's the the devils were done for the night in the scoring department after that um in the second period two goals were scored by chris Kreider, his 11th and 12th of the season giving them the 2-1 lead going into the third period and then four goals were scored in the third period. Chris Kreider started it off uh, with his hat trick, the nat- all-natural hat trick, uh, 23 seconds into the third period. And then the following was scored by Pavel Bucinevic, his seventh of the season. Uh, then it was Brendan Smith, his second. And then Alexi Lafreniere had his fourth of the season at the end of the game assisted by Mika Zibanejad but uh yeah this game was just uh surprisingly it was it seemed like it was dominated by the Rangers but the Devils had more shots they led the face-off uh percent uh, percentage as well uh 36 to 20 but uh the story for the Devils was 0 for 4 on the power play and Mackenzie Blackwood just uh, seemed like a sieve in in that uh, giving up four goals on fifteen attempts. Igor Shosturkin, on the other hand, had uh, thirty-two saves on thirty-three attempts, and uh, he was probably the star of the game behind Chris Kreider. But uh, yep, the Rangers took took care of business and beat the Devils six to one.
1: Yes, the uh, Rangers handed the Devils their seventh loss in their last eight games. And after that one, nothing lead, it was just all the, all the Rangers scoring six unanswered over the last two periods. Uh, Kreider had his second hat trick in the last couple of weeks. Again, we talked about that. He's uh, finding his scoring touch and um, you know, they need Kreider, who has 13 goals now uh, to provide the Rangers with the scoring they need in the absence of Panarin. And, you, and the lack of contribution from Zabanajad, And Zabanajad seemed to be in the doghouse in this game with Coach Quinn uh, because he only played 13 minutes in this game when he typically averages about 20 minutes. So I'm not sure if uh, Quinn was sending him a message or not. The bad news for the Rangers in this game was that Igor left the game in the third period yeah. with a gro- groin injury, right? So uh, he, he's out for a period of time, but Georgia, if – Came in in relief, made three saves. Rangers win. They chased Blackwood in the third period. Uh, like you said, he you know he was like a sieve, and uh, the Rangers were one for two on the power play, and uh, and the Devils were over four on the power play, and uh, you know that was the difference in the game. I'm not sure how much longer the Rangers are going to be without um, Panarin, but uh, thus far they've been able to win games in his absence. And, you know, thankfully for the Rangers, the schedule is schedule is favorable when they need it to be um, without Panarin being in the lineup.
0: Yeah. And then the final game of the week, the Rangers took on the Devils once again and beat them six to three. The first period was a scoring barrage from both teams, Uh, five goals in the first period, three from the Rangers, two from the Devils. The scoring started off with an Adam Fox goal followed by Ryan Strome. And then the Devils scored two unanswered from PK Subban, only his second of the season. And then Mikhail Maltsev tied the game at two, two with his third of the season, but then late uh, three minutes left in the, into the first period, Kevin Rooney scored his fourth of the season against his old team. And then, In the second period, only one goal was scored by the Rangers, and it was Libor Hayek, uh, his first of the season. And then in the third period, the Rangers scored once again, uh, started off the scoring in the third period with Philip Heidel, his third of the season. Then the Devils scored, making it uh, with Nathan Bastian, his second of the season, and then Ryan Strome finished off the scoring with an empty net goal, his eighth of the season. Uh, the the Ra- uh, Rangers dominated this one. Uh, they let in the shots. Uh, they had they were one for five on the power play, but the Devils were 0 for 1. And uh, Georgie F. had a pretty good game, 24 uh, saves on 27 attempts, and Blackwood once again got shelled. Uh 22 saves on 27 attempts, but the Rangers took care of business in New Jersey and finished the week three and and0 looking to go four and in their final game on Sunday.
1: Yeah. The, the Rangers, they won they win their third straight, they hand the devils their fifth straight. Um, you know, you talked about the scoring barrage from the Rangers, Georgia made 24 saves with Igor being sidelined. So this may be Georgiev's opportunity to try and get a stranglehold on the uh, starting job with Igor out. This is the second of a six-game road trip for the Rangers, which will prove to be crucial. And uh, the Rangers welcomed the return of Capo Kakko, who had uh, an assist returning after a six-game absence. Uh, the Rangers continue to struggle on the power play, going one for five. They ranked 26th in the league, converting at a rate of 15%. Uh, They will need to improve this in order to make a big run. And I just can't understand how they aren't better on the power play with the skill players they have. So compare this to the Isles power play, which was awful and has improved significantly this year, ranking 12th in the league, converting at 23%. So, you know, both New York teams are pretty good, killing the penalty. Rangers are fifth at 86%. The Isles are at 7 at 83 percent and the specialty teams are huge to make a run and the rangers power play needs to get better strome has been huge for the rangers you know who are without panarin again and uh his return is unknown at this time Savannah jad continues to struggle mika was minus one in this game with a, a single shot on goal and quite frankly i'm surprised the rangers have done so well without their top two scores but Kreider and Strom have picked up the slack and mm-hmm. the question the question is how long can this go on I mean can they do this if Panarin is out for an extended period of time and Mika can't find his scoring touch because I think that that'll be a problem and and fortunately the schedule has been kind you know with the Rangers playing the two worst teams in the division this week but um you know the competition is going to notch up a bit uh, Need And they're going to need Panarin back if they want to, you know, stay in this hunt.
0: Yeah. Looking to the week ahead, it does get uh, pretty tough. Uh, They have three games this week, Tuesday at the Penguins uh, and then a two game stint at the TD garden against the Bruins. And uh, this is going to be tough. I think, at best, they come out one and two on the week, but I could see them going zero and three on this week.
1: Uh, I could see them going zero and three this week as well. They're, you know, they're playing good. Um, I think they'll be one and two at best, and I agree with you. I, I could see them going zero and three this week.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, looking tough for the Rangers in this week.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree.
0: Um, so, uh, now that we're done with the Rangers, uh, G Mac, you have, uh, uh, something
1: to talk about. Did you, did you see the, uh, Tom Wilson hit K dog on the Bruins Carlo?
0: Yeah, I, I, I saw it. Um, it was a pretty cheap shot hit, to be honest with you, in my opinion. Yeah. I, and, this isn't, thought... and this isn't his, his first either.
1: No, he's been suspended four times for questionable hits like this in the past. Right. So this is going to be his fifth, fifth suspension, um, you know, because he was handed down a seven game suspension and um, you know, so I like physical hockey and I like, you know, this guy plays on the edge um, but you know, he has a history of these questionable hits Uh, You know, I'm glad the Bruins uh, took matters into their own hands, right? They, I like the way they responded both on the scoreboard and physically Bruins, Jared Tenorti took matters into his own hands, getting the better of a fight with Wilson, you know, and then early in the third period, Trent Frederick, uh, he instigated a fight with uh, Wilson as well. And this kid, Frederick has a lot of spunk. I like the way he plays, you know, now, Wilson uh, suspended with his history. I can't, I don't understand why he didn't get a penalty, but you know, the, the the problem, the problem that I have with Wilson is, um, you know, he is Washington's enforcer, Mm -hmm. you know, as much, as much of an enforcer, you can be in today's NHL. Right. And Wilson wears a visor. And, And to me, if you're an enforcer, you cannot wear a visor. Mm-hmm. For in, for instance, Matt Martin, the Isles enforcer, he doesn't wear a visor, a shield. So if these were two two guys were to fight, Wilson would have the advantage yes. because most of his face is protected. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt Martin can't punch him in the eye or in the nose because his face is covered. But he can punch Matt Martin in the eye and the nose because Matt Martin doesn't wear a shield, mm-hmm. right? A uh, visor. So, you know, there's not much to hit. So, Wilson needs to take his visor off if he wants to play this way in the NHL. If he wants to be an enforcer, he wants to play this way in the NHL, he has to take his visor off. You know, just imagine, k Dog. you know, this would be like a pro boxer wearing the Olympic headgear while Mm -hmm. his opponent is bareheaded. I mean, come on. So the NHL, in my opinion, needs to put in a rule that says if you fight wearing a visor, you get an extra double minor four minute penalty. Otherwise, you need to take your helmet off. So this will help minimize fighting, which is what the NHL wants anyway. And it'll even the playing field for, for those that may fight, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Wilson, Wilson must take his visor off or stop playing the way he does. Because you know, we, we talked about you know one of our early shows, intimidation and now intimidation. Yeah is is out of the nhl right and back in the 70s the 80s and even the early 90s i mean they had some of these tough guys and these tough guys would not be wearing uh visors you know clark gillies dave schultz terry o'reilly bob probert joe coaster and ty domi they're not wearing visors right and they would have pummeled tom wilson Mm -hmm. pummeled him and, and they would have enjoyed it because of the way he plays. So, you know, come on, if you're, you want to be an enforcer, Tom Wilson, you got to take your visor off. And if you're not going to take your visor off, you get, you get a penalty if you fight, because it's just completely unfair.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Totally. I think it's a, it's an unfair advantage, especially he knows he's a fighter. So I think that he should, uh, he should uh, take the visor off and, uh, fight like a man but uh yeah i think the suspension was well deserved
1: i think that the suspension was well deserved and you know i I don't expect that this is going to end um you know they play again uh, i think in early april so i'm I'm sure that's circled on the calendar but anyway so as we wrap up our hockey segment of the program uh we need to pay tribute to american hockey legend mark Pavlich who passed away this weekend at the age of 63. Uh, The cause of death is being investigated at this time. Unfortunately, Pavlich suffered from mental illness, which caused him problems recently, having a run in with the law, resulting in him being institutionalized. Uh, Pavlich is most remembered as a member of the 1980 Olympic hockey team, the greatest amateur team to achieve Olympic glory in a fate that will never be repeated Mm -hmm. because the olympics allow professionals now which is unfortunate because it takes away from the spirit of the olympics and ensures that moments like the miracle on ice and tiny lake placid never occur again you can you can thank the american olympic committee for allowing this to happen because they pushed for professionals because they got tired of getting beat in Olympic basketball once other countries caught up to us and the American college players couldn't win gold any longer. Thus the advent of the dream team and the end of Olympic miracles created by a bunch of college kids as was done at Lake Placid. So Pavlich was a college star at Minnesota Duluth before being part of the 1980 Olympic team. He assisted on Mike Arruzioni's game-winning goal against the Russians in the biggest upset in sports history. There will never be a bigger upset in sports history than in that game. The Russian hockey machine, a team of pros essentially, manhandled many pro teams leading up to the Olympics and completely embarrassed the U.S. Olympic team at Madison Square Garden about two weeks earlier. Afterwards, Pavlich played five seasons for the New York Rangers and was part of a line called the Smurfs because the line consisted of players with small stature. Pavlich was only five foot eight. He played with fellow Miracle on Ice teammate Rob McClanahan and Swede Anders Hedberg. Miracle on Ice coach Herb Brooks was the Rangers coach at that time. And the 82-83 Rangers stunned the favored Flyers in the first round of the playoffs on the back of the blue shirt Smurfs line and Mark Pavlich. Godspeed, Mark Pavlich.
0: Yep. Uh, Tribute to the 1980 Olympic team. Uh, But now that we're done with the NHL, uh, we are done for today. But that's it from the cellar today,
1: and here's hoping our teams get out of the cellar soon.